Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. Hello. Welcome back to The Next Track. Thanks for listening today. This is episode number 72, and it's brought to you by Rogue Amoeba, the developers of Audio Hijack audio recording software. If you can hear it on your Mac, you can record it with Audio Hijack. I've got a special Audio Hijack offer just for you. And I'll tell you about that in a few minutes. Now, if you're a Mac user and you're in the iTunes ecosystem, well, over the past couple of weeks, you've probably seen lots of new software. Lots of new software. iOS 11 for the iPhone and the iPad, Mac OS High Sierra for the Mac, and, of course, iTunes 12.7, which is available both for the new operating system, High Sierra, and previous operating systems as far back as, I don't know how far back, well, uh, surprisingly, the minimum system for iTunes 12.7 is Yosemite, Mac OS 10.10. And that's unusual because earlier versions of iTunes 12 could run on systems as old as Lion 10.7. The last time iTunes incremented a full version number was back in 2014. It was three years ago when iTunes 12 came out. And in my Macworld review at the time, I sort of predicted that Apple was going to be making the kind of changes that we saw in the 12.7 update, some of which we'll discuss in a minute. I said, I'm not on the split iTunes because it's bloated bandwagon. It makes more sense to have one app manage all my media. But I think these changes, particularly the tighter integration of the iTunes store, will incite more people to campaign for the dismemberment of iTunes. Now, I also quoted this in an article on my website last week. This is where iTunes is bloated. There'll be a link in the show notes. What I pointed out is that the bloat in iTunes that causes performance problems is not related to any features that you use or don't use. And we'll get to some of those features that have been removed. But it's related to the integration of the iTunes store that is no longer just in the store tab, but is in your actual library. When you look in your music library, your movies library, your TV shows library, you by default, you see your purchased items, you see what's in the cloud and what's not. This is what slows down iTunes more than anything else. Right. It's not just the local database and the local music player. It's the fact that the Apple Store component is in constant touch with Apple, checking on your music library to see what you've purchased, what you haven't purchased, what's in the cloud, and so on. So there was a big change in iTunes 12.7. Yes. Apple has said that in the interest of making iTunes more concentrated on media management, iTunes 12.7 no longer manages mobile apps and ringtones. And... That's a radical change, but if you think about it, why are we still using music jukebox software to manage mini applications on mobile devices that use a different operating system? I mean, obviously, it's a system that evolved from the original iPod, but it looks like Apple wants to move away from that. Uh, it's a change that was unexpected. There was no hint of this happening in the betas over the summer, and understandably, people are upset by this. But you know, as far as I'm concerned, it is what it is. But it is a radical change. Well, it's a radical change because in removing not only app management and syncing, but also the App Store, the iOS App Store from iTunes, we no longer have a way to move apps to iOS devices without downloading them. And this is an issue for people who don't have a lot of bandwidth. I put an example article on my website the other day. The iWork apps were updated, pages, numbers, and Keynote. And I think they were about a, one and a half gigabytes for the three now, I have four iOS devices, so that's six gigabytes. I have a 15 megabit connection, which isn't that slow, but one and a half gigabytes, I timed it was around a half an hour. My All my bandwidth was saturated for half an hour for one device. 
you can get games that are a couple of gigabytes and maybe you want to put them on two devices and you could be spending an hour downloading a game on one device then have to spend another hour to the other device and that's at a 15 megabit connection a couple years ago i only had four megabits so that half hour to update those four apps would have been two hours and for ios devices it would have been eight hours to download the apps right and those are apps that you would be using on a fairly regular basis and you know to spend this much time you you lose your productivity time downloading your productivity apps so it's it's a bit of an inconvenience for a lot of people on the other hand i will say that uh a lot of the comments i saw about people complaining that you know they can't get their their apps on the uh, on their devices then they they started to backtrack and think that well actually come to think of it i've been downloading apps to my phone directly for a while now anyway so it seems that people have been moving away from using iTunes. I know my, my daughter and my wife, they very rarely connect uh, an iPhone or their iPads to a computer to back it up. The only time they ever do is when I say, hey, there's a new operating system, you should upgrade. But the rest of the time, whenever they want apps or music or whatever else from, from that they want to load onto the phone, they just do it over the air. Uh, it never occurs to them to back things up. It never occurs to them to, to you know plug the phone in. So there are those people too. What's your internet bandwidth? Oh, 20, 25-ish on a good day. So fast enough. Yeah. Because remember that there are people n not only in second or third world countries, but in countries like the UK where I am, the United States where you are, who only have two or three or four megabits. And there are also people, this is more common in the US, that have bandwidth caps. So they're limited to how much they can download in a month. Now, you take that game and have to download it a few times, that's going to eat up a lot of your bandwidth, and you either may be throttled at the end of the month, or you may have to pay for extra bandwidth. I, I think the problem is that Apple just doesn't think about these things anymore. They just assume that everyone has, you know, high-speed fiber or cable, which is what they all have, and they forget that an awful lot of their customers, and particularly in, you know, less developed countries, have very slow bandwidth. Well, so I guess what you got to do is find some public Wi-Fi like, uh, and be willing to sit in, in Starbucks or a coffee shop for a few hours and, and get your stuff. Well, in my experience, the speed in Starbucks and other coffee shops isn't very fast. Yeah, that's true. In fact, I don't think I've ever even... We go to London every now and then for the theater and we stay in hotels and I've never noticed bandwidth that was stellar. So it's not like you can just squat someplace and use someone's bandwidth. Now, some people may have like a public library where they can do that, and it's entirely possible, but we shouldn't have to think about doing it like that. Right. Well, the, my point was is that there, you won't have any bandwidth caps if you sit at the uh, Starbucks and download Good it. Good point. But that's what you'd have to suffer through if you didn't want to have to pay for it. Well, but you're paying for your coffee. So you're paying, <laughs> you can pay me now or you can pay me later. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. so the other thing that they've removed is is tones, ringtones and, and alert tones. And I'm guessing not too many people use this, but I've got custom-made ringtones. I haven't made any in years. Uh, I've got a half a dozen and there's one that I use. It's a it's a clip from a piano version of Terry Riley's In C and it's a really good percussive minimalist ringtone. But you can't do this anymore now. I'll link in the show notes to a way that you can still manually sync ringtones and apps if you still have the files on your your computer to a device using itunes it's a bit of a workaround but it does work so if you want to keep making ringtones you can i you know i had totally forgotten that there is a, a tone store as part of the itunes store and they still sell ringtones for 
for a buck twenty nine, and and one of the top twenty five ringtones is still the CTU telephone ringtone. Oh, really? From yeah. 24? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have a feeling that either those charts haven't been updated in a long time or the only people who buy them are still sort of living 10 years in the past because I didn't see that many familiar songs on it. Of course, I'm not really up on what's popular in music these days. So There's a another interface change in iTunes 12.7 that I wanted to mention. It has to do with playlist creation. A few years ago, when Apple was pushing full screen mode, um, and enforcing uh, apps to be able to be used in full screen. They pulled playlist windows out of iTunes, and that's, of course, because you can't have two windows open in full screen mode. So in order to accommodate playlist creation, what they did was they, they gave you a little link button called Edit Playlist when a playlist was in playlist view. If you clicked on that, a column would open on the right side where you could drag tracks from the now central column into a new playlist column. Now, I didn't use it that much because you didn't see a lot of detail about tracks in this, uh, in this little playlist maker column. But now they've, re they've gotten rid of that. So now we're back to having playlist windows, which were introduced a, a couple of versions ago. And they've got rid of that edit playlist thing. But if you open a smart playlist in playlist view, you will see where edit playlist used to be, edit rules. And that, when you click on that, you'll get the, the criteria editor for a smart playlist, which is really convenient because otherwise you'd have to control click on a playlist name in order to get the, the smart playlist editor to come up. Well, now you can just click on this. It's much more convenient. But let me go back to the edit playlist uh, column for a moment because that's where they introduced the playlist description, which you could edit. You can add your own descriptions to your own playlist, which I found incredibly convenient because I make so many playlists, I don't know what I'm using them for. So to be able to, you know, give a date or a description for what I made the playlist for has been really handy. Now you can still add and edit a description to a playlist. It's just a little difficult to find. What you have to do is put your playlist in playlist view and then either right click anywhere in the playlist header or click on the uh, blue ellipse button and you will see in the contextual menu uh, add or edit playlist description. Also, I've created a, an Apple script that will enable you to edit uh, the playlist description. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. But uh, I'm glad that right column is gone because I found it useless. And I'm glad playlist windows are back because I find those uh, much easier to use. And I'm glad that uh, I can now quickly edit smart playlist criteria much faster and, and much more conveniently. This is a good place for us to take a short break. We'll be back to talk about Apple Music changes in just a minute. When you need to record audio on your Mac, don't overthink it. The only app you need is Audio Hijack from Rogue Amoeba. Audio Hijack can record audio from any app on your machine that outputs audio, whether it's a web browser, iTunes, FaceTime, Skype, an audio interface that pulls audio in. Let me put it this way. If you can hear it on your Mac, then you can record it with Audio Hijack. You may want to capture and time shift an internet broadcast. Well, Audio Hijack can schedule recordings when you're away. Podcast much? Kirk and I record the episodes for this show over Skype with Audio Hijack. And you know, audio is great for inter-office communication. You can record meetings, a monthly newsletter, updates from the home office. You may want to digitize LPs, which reminds me that Audio Hijack has some great onboard effects like compression, EQ, and limiting to clean up those kinds of recordings. 
and it's so easy to use. You don't need to be an audio engineer to get great results. I've said this before. Whenever I've had to ask myself, how am I going to record that? The answer is always Audio Hijack. It's the essential audio recording tool for Mac users. Download the free trial and you'll see what I mean. Right now, you can save 20% on a license for Audio Hijack with this coupon code, NEXTTRACK. That's all one word, all uppercase. NEXTTRACK is the code to use to get 20% off your purchase of Audio Hijack from Rogue Amoeba. Remember, anything you can hear on your Mac, you can record with Audio Hijack. Download your free trial of Audio Hijack now from RogueAmoeba.com. Now, there are some other new features that aren't specific to iTunes, but Apple Music has started to expand its, what would be the term, discoverability? You can now share your listening history. You can create a user profile. You can follow your friends. Your friends can follow you. You can see what they're listening to. So I can, for example, go to Doug's profile, and I can see that he's been listening to Rory Gallagher, X, the Apple Music alternative playlist called Cake Essentials, some Dr. John, Deep Purple, and so on. Nothing to be embarrassed about yet. When, when you start listening to the greatest hits of Alvin and the Chipmunks, then I'll have a giggle. But this is interesting because if I look in the For You section and I see friends are listening to, um, I might spot something that, hey, I didn't know there was a new album by this. Or, you know, such and such friend has been listening to this. That reminds me, that's a good record. And so one of one of my friends, in fact, someone you also follow, I can see that he's been listening to Yes is Fragile, Brian Eno's Thursday Afternoon, and a couple other things like that, music that I like. And, and that could be, to me, a sort of a reminder to say, hey, let me listen to that album now. I like this system. They've attempted to do social in the past and have failed miserably. And this is the first time that I've actually felt better engaged. I've actually made a point to, to see what other people are listening to. And like you say, you do see a, a conglomeration of what your friends are listening to. It seems to be that uh, the cream rises to the top or something there, because I don't think I'm seeing everything that everybody's listening to, but it seems to be, well, it's really, it's tough to figure out at this point. But anyway, that's how engaged with it I am. I'm, I'm keeping an eye on it and I to detect the differences. And it's kept me in the for you section longer than I normally am there. Definitely. So when you go to the friends are listening to section, you can click see all and then you'll see more. Now, I don't think this is everything. I think this, there's got to be a certain cutoff date. And right now, I think we're each following a dozen people and we have a dozen followers. And if this expands to the point of, you know, following 20 or 30 or 50 people, there might be too much to actually examine in this list. In the first few days, it seemed that albums that more than one person were listening to were coming up at the top of the list. And now it's kind of they're throughout the list. So, for instance, the new LCD Sound System album, American Dream, a number of people who I'm following have listened to this, including Apple's Phil Schiller and Jeff Robin. But it's on the third line, about 25 albums down, whereas a few days ago it was near the top. Phil Schiller also likes Boston, and that's like, wow, I don't even want to listen to that ever again. But there are a couple of albums at the, the very beginning of my list that are that multiple people have listened to. So I think part of the system here is not only to show what people are listening to, but to maybe eventually prioritize what a lot of people are listening to. And also, don't forget, that list is going to ebb and flow depending on when people listen to music. We don't know when our friends have listened to it. We only know what they've last listened to. Keeping an eye on it, I've seen that some people haven't, nothing's changed in two or three days. So 
people aren't listening to music with iTunes. Uh, or at least, or at least, not allowing it to show up. Yeah. Well, with Apple Music, this doesn't record anything from your iTunes library. It only shows what's in Apple Music. Well, if you're on iCloud Music Library, it will. In fact, if you look at my list, you'll see that playlists of mine are actually listed. Now, maybe you don't see those, but I see them. No, I don't. Um, okay. No, it looks like the only playlists I see are Apple Music playlists. So your personal playlists are not shared, and I guess that's a good thing. You can share a personal playlist with an individual. You can send them a link to a playlist. They can't edit the playlist, and, and it's really only good for them to, to look at, to see maybe you're setting up a playlist for someone to show the music that you've been listening to that you've added or whatever. But here, you're only seeing what's on Apple Music. It's like if I was listening to King Crimson in my iTunes library, you wouldn't see it because they're not available on Apple Music. The other neat thing is you can uh, send a link to your profile. You can get a link to it and make it available so that people who who, well, everybody in the world who has access to that link can start following you unless you have set it up to approve new followers. I've left mine open temporarily, probably going to shut it down shortly after this, but um, I've left it open so that anybody who wants to follow me can. And if I wanted to publicize my profile, I could do that too with the, with the link. I'll put a link in the show notes to an article I wrote called How to Share Your Listening History in Apple Music. It, it's not that clear how to set up the profile and share it. So I walked through with a bunch of steps. Um, I, I've got my uh, Apple Music profile link, and I'll put both mine and Doug's into the show notes. So anyone who wants to follow us and see what we're really listening to, go ahead. Of course, as Doug said, it might not be publicly available forever. And remember, you only see what we listen to from Apple Music. I think it's fair to say that I'm growing through a flurry of listening to Apple Music with this new feature. And I, I can't guarantee this is going to last very long. I have a lot of music in my library that I would like to listen to as well. But it is interesting, as you said, to, to see what people are listening to. And I've been going through a bit more new releases, particularly in classical music and jazz, things that I'm just not going to buy. The new recording of Schubert's uh, last two piano sonatas by Christian Zimmerman, which is quite nice. Some new jazz stuff. I mean, I'm finding it useful, but there's this balance between all this music that I really like that's in my library that's not available on Apple Music and the sort of kid in the candy store feeling of, you know, spending more time with Apple Music. But as you said earlier, it, it has gotten me to look at For You a lot more often. You've probably noticed that the new mix is gone and it's been replaced by Chill Mix. No, I still have new music mix. You still have new music? I don't get new music anymore. Um, which is fine because it I... Went it went away for a day and we talked about this, I think... Maybe it was on Monday, and then it came back the next day. Yeah, that's right. I still don't have it. But what I do have is at the bottom of my For You, I have new releases, which I like better because I didn't like getting the individual songs in new mix. I, I, I wasn't listening to it. But now that I see a list of albums at the bottom, maybe it's because I'm an album guy. But that's not new. Well, I never used it. <laughs> I've never used it before. Okay, but it was it was always there. Maybe it just didn't scroll down it's enough. It's certainly possible. Yeah. It's certainly possible I never scrolled down enough. But I've never seen new releases before like that. So I'm paying much more attention to new releases now with that, now that new mix is gone. So that's a kind of an ironic thing. Okay, so it's, so it's interesting. I still have the new music mix, and I think I've only listened to it once. Because like you, it, the individual songs don't grab me. These are artists I don't know. The, the artwork thumbnail doesn't tell me anything. I don't see what genres they are, so I pretty much ignore it. On the other hand, the new releases has actually been quite good. It shows me the new uh, John Fox and the Maths album called The Machine, 
which I happened to have bought on CD. In fact, I even saw the play for which it was a soundtrack um, some months ago. It shows me the latest album of, of music and speeches from the Royal Shakespeare Company's Coriolanus, which we saw uh, Monday evening. And it recommended that because I've added other Royal Shakespeare Company albums to my library. It showed me a new album by Fred Hirsch called Open Book. He's a pianist, really good. It shows me volume 33 of the complete solo keyboard music by CPE Box on BIS Records, volume 33. And they're nowhere, they're probably only halfway done. So your point is, is that you're seeing some nice esoteric recommendations as new releases. Exactly. And, and that correspond to things that I've listened to or bought or whatever. The new Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark album. I didn't know there was a new OMD album. It just came out on September 1st. And I actually quite like it. It's a great song called Ghost Star, the 11th track on the album. Quite good. It sounds like 80s OMD. But hey, that's what you'd expect, right? I, that's what I would demand, actually. <laughs> There's another feature called Personal DJ, and it may have been available on iOS before. I don't know. I never encountered it. But it is now available through iTunes on the desktop. And Personal DJ is uh, it, it's like your own radio playlist. My playlist is called Doug Adams Radio, and it includes a lot of music that I already have a historical connection with. Like, for instance... I've uh, purchased music by a band, or I've listened to something in Apple Music. It seems to use your play history, and it creates a radio station. Mine's called Doug Adams Radio, and it's a bunch of music that uh, I'm somewhat familiar with. And it reminded me of how we used to program radio stations. We always tried to play music that sucks the least. That is, you don't want to play anything that's going to cause someone to tune out. So you try to play this sort of music that is familiar, but is not a tune out. And uh, the other interesting thing about it is that the only way you can make this playlist, the only way to access it, is by using Siri. Yeah, you have to say to Siri something like, play music or play me good music or something like that. We, just before we started recording, we were looking through what was playing in mine, and we determined that it contains music that you've either purchased, added to your iCloud Music Library loved or played. And in a couple of cases, songs came up that I had played and later removed from my library that I didn't like them that much, but it's, they were still there. Now, maybe that'll refine over time. One thing that I'm finding interesting, and, and I'm just on my iPhone, I'm just putting it on again to check something, is as I go through this, I haven't seen any classical music come up. Now, one of the problems of these sort of play all my songs playlists is that half of my iCloud music library is classical music, and I don't want to hear the second movement of a Beethoven piano sonata after a Lou Reed song. So it seems like they're limiting it to just pop and rock and jazz, which is only half of my library, honestly. I'm seeing Bowie and Dylan, and I'm seeing Yorma Kalkinen and Daruti Kalam and Bill Nelson, Harold Budd, you know, music that artists I like. So there there must also be some sort of genius weighting of things you've played the most or the most recently. It, it is quite it is quite clever, I will agree. It's very similar to the favorites mix, um, except you're, it doesn't seem to be limited to just 25 songs, which is great because I always look forward to the favorites mix to see what's in it, but I'm never going to listen to that playlist more than once a week. Uh, the radio seems to just go on and on. I've listened to it for about two and a half, maybe three hours, and I haven't heard it repeat. I have heard radio stations that I create on iTunes start to repeat songs after maybe three or four hours. So 
we'll see what happens with this. But right now, I am, I, I am captivated by it to a certain degree. Once you create it, whether you create it with Siri on an iOS device or on a Mac, it will show up in your recently played, both in For You and in your recently played radio stations. It's also shareable, isn't it? You can share it? Uh, yes, you can share it. There is a share station with a copy link and all that, and, and I'm not sure. We'll have to test that after we're finished recording and, and see how that works. If you don't listen to it for a while, you might want to just put it on for a minute at some point to refresh it, to bring it back to the top of the recently played list so it doesn't disappear. Because it's very possible that it will over time after, maybe it can only keep a history of a certain number of radio stations. Just to bounce back to that recently played section, one thing that I find a little bit annoying is that it will show, and this with the friends are listening to as well, it will show everything you've listened to even a little bit. So if I go to listen to an album and listen to a song and say I don't like this and move on to something else, it's still going to show up in recently played and it's still going to show up in friends are listening to. Does that follow the uh, the twenty second rule for like skipped tracks? So, for instance, if you only play it less than twenty seconds, it won't show up. Have you noticed that? I don't know. We'd have to test that. But I'm seeing I'm seeing a number of things where I've listened to a bit, either a song or even a minute of a song, or even one where I clicked accidentally and maybe backed out. Maybe it was more than 10 seconds, I don't know. If you're following someone who is the kind of person who's going to sample music, listening to 30 seconds of this and a minute of that, you're going to see a lot of dross in your friends are listening to section. If you follow me, you're going to see lots of junk because I'm <laughs> testing Apple scripts that check playlists, that play a playlist, that make playlists. And I was noticing the other day, I said, wait, I didn't play those. And then I realized, oh yeah, I was running an Apple script to check on something. And it these things ended up in my history. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. I've got to keep an eye on stuff like that. But then I don't really care. There's nothing in my library I'm embarrassed about. But still, it, I did not expect that to happen. So that was an interesting thing. But you're right. I actually have the latest thing in my recently played is something that I did not play, but I think I touched on it. I may have even just tapped it on the phone, and I didn't listen to it. Is that the Live at the Whiskey or Go-Go? No, no. This is a, uh, a Fountains of Wayne album which just happened to be playing on my phone a day yesterday. But this morning when I opened it up, it showed up as recently played today, and it wasn't recently played today. Okay, well, I'm not seeing that in the listening to section under your profile. Oh, okay. So it's not sharing. Maybe things that you don't listen to that much don't get shared. So right. that's well, good. Time will tell. We'll, we'll see. Time will tell. Okay, it's time to wrap this up, but I just want to mention one little new feature that some people will find useful uh, you may have seen that there have been glimmers of Flack support in iTunes and iOS, and it's really not clear how it's working in iOS. Some people can get it to work if you open a file from Dropbox or iCloud Drive, you can play it. But one thing that is clear is that you can listen to a Flack file using QuickView on the Mac. That's when you select a file and press the spacebar to get a preview, and that does work. And if you do have Flack files, this will be very useful. But you still can't play Flack files in iTunes. You still can't play them in iTunes. You can convert them to Apple Lossless and play them in iTunes, and you won't lose anything. And as a final, final word, uh, this is the time of year when a lot of people take the opportunity to clean up their iTunes libraries before updating the Mac OS, the iOS, whatever. So I wanted to mention a few popular Apple scripts you might be interested in using for housekeeping, and links to these will be in the show notes. To eliminate dead tracks, those are tracks in iTunes that have become disassociated from their files one way or another, and such that you can't play them, you'll see them displayed with an exclamation point, you can use Super Remove Dead Tracks. To sort tracks in your iTunes library that have been purchased by different 
users' Apple IDs. There's track down purchases. You can find the files in your iTunes media folder that are no longer listed as track entries in iTunes, sometimes called orphaned files, with music folder files not added. You may have folders in your iTunes media folder that are devoid of iTunes-compatible files, and you can locate these with Find Empty iTunes Media Folders. And if you still have the Mobile Applications folder, you haven't deleted it yet, and it still contains all your downloaded apps, you can list these apps according to the Apple IDs that made the purchase with Apps by Apple ID. Links to those scripts will be in the show notes. We want to thank Rogue Amoeba for sponsoring this episode of The Next Track. Rogue Amoeba are the developers of Audio Hijack. If you can hear it on your Mac, you can record it with Audio Hijack. And remember that you can save 20% on a license for Audio Hijack with this coupon code, Next Track. Download your free demo of Audio Hijack at rogueamoeba.com. Kirk, what's your next track? So my next track this week is something that goes back more than 30 years, and it only came up because I was browsing Apple Music. I was looking at some albums of people like Bill Laswell and Material and all that, and, and in the section of albums you might like, it showed up an album by James Blood Ulmer, and I was thinking, oh, I remember that guy. In 1984, he released an album called Odyssey, and it's for James Blood Ulmer albums, it's quite accessible. He has one of the most raucous guitar styles you can imagine. Take Jimi Hendrix, throw in some Ornette Coleman, and then some Tony Levin and, you know, some weird polyrhythms and things like that. And, and it's like he plays the guitar like he's throwing knives at high speed. It's an amazing guitar style. Some of his stuff is really hard to listen to. It's it's free jazz, it's it's funk and, and there's always a rhythm, but it's very atonal. But this album is probably the most accessible. It's it's not very long. It's uh thirty-five minutes on eight tracks. But this is some this is some badass guitar playing. It really is. You might want to go further and listen to some of his other stuff and, and check out an album called Freelancing, which I think was his first album in nineteen eighty one. Some of his more recent stuff has gone in different directions. But this is a guitarist who really should be known a little bit more. I mean, his music isn't accessible to everyone, but, man, he's got chops. So this is James Blood Ulmer's 1984 album, Odyssey. Doug, what have you discovered on Apple Music this week? Well, you're not going to believe it, but I actually did discover something on Apple Music this week. I was prowling around the way one does, and uh, I was I, I landed on a Ron Wood album. And then I looked down at the bottom, it says, you may also like... And I saw this little this icon for uh, an album, and the name of the song was You Baby You, and it said featuring Wadi Wachtel, uh, Bobby Keys, uh, Kenny Aronson. I said, oh, I wonder what that is. I know those guys. They're famous sidemen. So I checked it out, and it's the most remarkable thing by a band called Sticky Fingers. They are a Rolling Stones tribute band, but in this case, it's like a celebrity Rolling Stones tribute band. The, the the main guy, the the Mick Jagger tribute lead singer, is named Glenn Carroll, and he is the brains behind the operation. He writes songs that sound like the Rolling Stones. They don't do Rolling Stones covers. They do songs that sound like the Rolling Stones. Um, these sidemen I mentioned, particularly Wadi Wachtel, who's one of my favorite guitarists of all time, is on here, and he really gives it an edge. The album was produced by Andy Johns. This album sounds like the Rolling Stones circa 1971. It's really a lot of fun to listen to, and I highly recommend it if you're a Stones fan of that era. And by golly, who isn't, right? 
Sticky Fingers is the name of the band. The name of the album, Like a Rolling Stone. It's my next track. This has been The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. You can find show notes and links to some of the things we talked about in this and other episodes at thenexttrack.com. There's also a contact form there you can use to send us comments. If you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please think about giving us a review or rating. We'd appreciate that. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.